one of the family. Welcome. Now, I try and go right to the top for you. We've got Professor Claudio Solero, who is one of the world's leading experts on wild dogs. Academically speaking, he's an apex predator, and he will take us to their ever-shrinking habitats, but ever-fascinating lives. And I think you will learn a lot about the wild dog lurking in your house. I mean, compare and contrast. Thanks, Maxwell. But coming next, and coming first, Jeremy Paxman. I mean, one of the greatest broadcasters of his generation. Jeremy Paxman, Newsnight, University Challenge, wonderful author. Um, I was really, really nervous about this. And because of that, I completely messed up all the Zoom technology and it couldn't get through to him, he couldn't get through to me. I had to phone him, I had to send him another... Oh, anyway, enough of my problems. This is quite extraordinary. Enjoy. Thank you so much for doing this. Really appreciate it. It's, it's no problem at all. And I'm sorry about the uh, technical up. That's all right. I, I always get... And I, then I lose my temper and I smash the thing. I know. I panic. So I was a bit, a bit nervous anyway about this, obviously. Oh, don't be such a silly old woman. Tell me about your dog. My dog is called Derek. He's from Battersea Dogs Home. He's half Spaniel and half Dalmatian. So he's a very interesting mixture. They picked up his mother when she was very heavily pregnant. The mother was the Dalmatian. And um, on the very first night she was inside Battersea, she gave birth to 11 puppies. He was the dopiest of the lot, so we picked him. Are you aware of the television game show, The Chase? I have heard of it, yes. <laughs> I was on Celebrity Chase. I would expect you to, to, to do it at some stage. And I beat The Chaser. On the whole, I avoid things called celebrity, don't you? I mean, I just hate the idea. A celebrity is someone who's famous for being famous. That's all. Oh, yeah. It's a horrible word. But anyway, I appeared on this. I, I shall yeah. remind people... Um, of that when you have your Celebrity University Challenge. Um, That's fair enough. But I appeared on it anyway, and you can win quite a lot of money. And I beat the chaser, which is a phrase that people acquainted with the game will know. And uh, eventually, putting all our money together in the pot, I won £35,000 for Battersea. Bloody good. That, I admire that. Good for you. Good for you. It's a great organisation. Dogs are pretty bloody amazing creatures, aren't they? They're pretty amazing creatures, and they're also pretty stupid at times. I happen to have a very stupid dog, yes. But, um, no, they're, 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 I have a friend who sent me an email the other day saying, you can never be unhappy with a spaniel. And there's something in that. You just look at them. And you, they, they're dependent upon you, and they're having damn fool ideas themselves. And, oh, look, there's, there's a bit of food on the ground. I might go and eat that. Or there's a turd on the ground. I'll go and have a sniff at that. You know, they're, they're, they're stupid, but they are lovely, and they are devoted. He did once pick up a pair of pants that a child had had an accident in. 
and he was last seen running around the local square with the pants on his head and shit dripping everywhere. It was revolting. Did you have dogs when you were growing up? Yes. We had a Dachshund and we, we had Labradors. Hmm. They were great. And I think it, it sort of makes a house a home, doesn't it? Don't you think? You must feel this with your children. I think not to have a dog, not to have a pet of some kind. And dogs are far and away the best pets because they make you change your behavior. They take you out. I often feel that Derek, when I take him out and his first thing in the morning for his morning pee and poo, I often feel he's doing me a favor. When I think spiders, I think of those, those crazy, that crazy helicopter tail yeah. and, you know, running forever, running after ball, running back, running after ball, running back, running a mile, running back again, and never being tired. The, the Duracell battery of dogs. But Derek's lazy. He is lazy. He's very, very lazy. He's very chilled. That's the good thing about him. He lets other mm. dogs do anything to him. Puppies are always jumping all over him. But um, he doesn't mind that. And you think... And people always say, he's an old dog, isn't he? He's only four. Do you get on the ground with him and scruffle and play fights with him? Yes, of course. I, I, I'm getting to the stage in life where getting on the ground is a bit of an effort. So. But you do. I mean, you, you have that, yes. um, that tactile attachment, yeah? Oh, yes, yes, yes. I think, I mean, given that dogs don't have much speech, uh, they don't, you can't have a conversation with a dog, and tactile is is a communication. So there you are on the floor, scruffling with him and, and tickling him. Does he lick your face? Yes, although I try to discourage him. You know, it's you know where that you know where that tongue has been. It's not nice. <laughs> he comes from sniffing another dog's bum to licking your face. Not good. It does happen. It does happen, yes. Mm. And you've got to let it happen. <laughs> Why do you have to let it happen? Because he's being affectionate. That's touching that you, despite your qualms about the fact that he may have licked some shit, that you'll, for the sake of connection, let him shortly thereafter lick your face. I found that very moving. Moving? I find it disgusting. <laughs> This is the sentimentalist in you, isn't it? It's, yeah. Yeah, I like that. I re I'm warming to you, Jeremy. <laughs> I'm very, very sentimental. When's the last time you cried? Uh, yesterday. And that lacrimosity yesterday was entirely self-inflicted. And it was, I was feeling sorry for myself. Mm -hmm. And that, that's really uncalled for. We're incredibly lucky. Mm. Very, very lucky indeed. Having the blues, basically, was it? That's right, yeah. And I even cried during... Didn't you cry during Prince Philip's funeral? Well, do you know what? <laughs> Whatever you think, it's the humanity of it all which gets to you, isn't it? Yeah. Whatever you think about the constitutional setup, the individuals involved... Yes. You know, with the individuals involved... I'm, I'm iffy about some. I instinctively don't like others, and I admire some of them. It's a, it's not for me. It's not a black and white situation. I thought. I think that when when I saw the Queen, I must admit to having 
shed a tear because I remembered my mother when she lost her lifelong partner. Exactly. And you, you never saw her face at the funeral, mm. but uh, that bowed head and the big hat, sitting alone, you poor old thing. You poor old thing. If you accept the principle of monarchy, which I do, um, because I think it's easier for people to understand. If a, if a nation, how families function, if a nation functions as a family, then you're going to have good ones and bad ones. You're going to have clever ones and stupid ones. You're going to have people who like dogs. Uh, I think actually Prince Charles does, or certainly Camilla does. I think Camilla's got that. Hasn't Camilla got a dog from Battersea? Yeah, she loves dogs. Yeah, yeah. as does the Queen, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. As, she as has all know. those horrible corgis, doesn't she? What's the point of having a what's the point of having a corgi or a sausage dog? Well, actually, my first dog was a sausage dog, Dinah. Sausage dogs are all right. They just look a bit implausible. German too. Oh well, <laughs> back to the royal family. People who do argue the opposite, and there's an argument for you know a republic. Who do you think in the current political environment would be our president? We should have Princess Anne or something. What, as president? Yeah, why not? Why not? Can you imagine? Otherwise, we'd be stuck with someone like Blair. Ghastly. Losing a dog. Why does losing a dog, when a dog in our life that we've loved so much, and the key thing about it all, and has lo loved us so much, um, shuffles off the mortal collar? Um, why does it affect us so much? I, I think they're so dependent upon you. I think that's the key thing. They're dependent upon you, and it's your. You feel you failed, so you're crying. Oh, mm. God! I didn't keep you alive, poor little thing. The dachshund that I referred to earlier got run over, so that was a sudden, uh, a sudden and bloody death, and. You can't pick them up really very easily. No. How old were you? I was a child. Mm. What happened? I was at school and I came back and the dog had run out into the road. And now, you know, you think roads are so much busier now. It will be so much more likely to happen. So I don't... Um, I don't relish it. I, I, I take care outside. It stays with you, doesn't it? It does, yeah. Mm. I once had to put a dog down uh, and went to the, and took it to the vet. And the actual injection was done by the vet, of course. But I was with her and sitting on the floor and holding her and talking to her as she was injected and died. And it was very quick and very painful and sympathetically done by the vet. But it was, it was distressing, of course. When all of a sudden he or she is, is lifeless. But you've got... You can tell the moment, can't mm. you? You can tell the moment. You can tell, it's the same with humans. You know when life has gone from the body, the moment it's gone. And 
dogs know it too. Dogs take themselves, if left to their own devices, they'll, they'll find a quiet place, take themselves off to a corner and just expire. And the other dogs know that the, 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 the dog has expired. You're so used to saying, oh, for heaven's sake, get off me, you silly dog. <laughs> that sort of thing. And they're not doing it anymore. I know. One of the family. Well, what do you think, by the way, when it comes to dogs? Because this is an interesting one about the, the dog meat trade in the Far East and those markets, those wet markets where they skin dogs alive and, and boil them because... I detest mm. them. Of course. And as for all this crap about respecting cultural practices, I've no time for that at all. And you have to decide something is either right or wrong. And if it's right, then I'm happy to, to um, I'm happy to respect other people's religious prejudices, which can be pretty stupid. Uh, but um, I'm happy to say, well, that does it for you, but I'm not prepared to accept if it in involves harming something else, that's the limit for me. We share a passion about litter. It winds me up so much. And I, I know it does you as well. What does it, and there's a few things to get into here. What does it tell us about how others consider people uh, and seem to extend no consideration for other human beings who will tread where their litter is? What's going on? What is it? With I you? think it tells us that you and I and lots and lots of other people may be considerate, but we share the planet with a bunch of inconsiderate assholes uh, who do not care, who think that because they can't see it themselves, others won't see it. And that seems to me such a stupid way to look at the world that it makes me very, very angry. But it's a lot of people who do not have that sufficient, reasonable concern for other people. I mean, what, what's the broader message for our society in that? I can't, I can't get my head around that. Well, somehow we have to persuade people that social space is private space as well, by definition, of course, isn't it? And your private space is something that you protect. And we should protect social space because it's everybody's private space i haven't got further than that i'm afraid there are some and it's a distressing distressingly large minority i think who feel that they're hermetically sealed off from other people and you just have a picnic leave all the shit there and disappear and i don't know about you but when when you're walking derek and when i'm walking maxwell in the park early in the morning for them it's not a walk uh, because Labradors are perpetually hungry. It's a buffet. Yes, that is true. All dogs look at all, everything they look at, they look at as potential food, and you won't keep them away from it for very long. I'm looking, is that your Labrador on the, scre on the screensaver there? Yeah, it is, yeah. Brilliant, isn't he? Yeah, he's wonderful. You should have chosen the black one. He, well, he's, he looks good on the front of my book. There's something in those eyes. Mine or his? Yeah, his eyes, not yours, I'm afraid. <laughs> There's something in the eyes of a dog. It's as if they can understand you, yeah. and it's wonderful. I wouldn't, I wouldn't miss it for anything. Anyway, litter. Have you ever had a confrontation with anyone who 
you've seen yeah, I have. what happened. Uh, well, eventually I walked away because I was going to hit him. Talk me through it. What happened? The last occasion was actually outside. There have been several of these occasions. The last occasion was outside a McDonald's where the there was it was a smaller it was smaller than me i mean i'm six two but he was on a bicycle and he threw down one of those plastic containers styrofoam containers and some paper he must have had a burger or something i suppose and i said excuse me you've just dropped that and he said yeah i said well you should pick it up. Someone else has got to pick it up. He said, yeah, and I had Derek with me. He said, yeah, and your dog will probably take a shit on the pavement somewhere, won't it? I said, well, I will, I will clear it up if that happens. And he said, and I do think you should. Um, and he said, yeah, well, watch it, mate. I've got my, I know you. I've got my eye on you. Yeah. Well, that's, if you've got a recognisable face, you know, if you appeared on telly, that's why. Did he strike you as the sort of person who might watch University Challenge and get a number of questions right? I'm normally manager about two. <laughs> you, you do very well. <laughs> if you think there are eight people there, any one of whom might buzz in, to get two questions right in a show is all right. <laughs> Not bad. So anyway... He said, I know who you are. Then what happened? Well, I said, well, good luck with that. I said, well, just pick it up. And then I walked away. I was really going to nail him. And that, that's childish, really. That, re re that response is so important that it should be moderated. Violence doesn't solve anything. What about those people who... Are mis this... this um gives us dog lovers a terrible reputation those people who put the the dog poo in the poo bag and then leave the bag i find that really what do they think is going on it's really worse than just the poo being there because the plastic takes so many years to biodegrade they're complete morons what do they think is going on i think a lot of them are professional dog walkers are you a professional? Am I a professional dog walker? No, I'm no, not. No, no, I said, didn't you? <laughs> but I said, you do university challenge, you write brilliant books, and you do a bit of professional dog walking. <laughs> Will you always have a dog? I hope so. It would be a deal breaker for me if we couldn't uh, if we couldn't live with a dog. <laughs> Jeremy Baxman. Love him. One of the family. Never mind the dog on the carpet, by the fire, on the sofa, on your bed, domesticated and adored. What about in the wild? Well, what about the tundra, in the forest, on the mountains, in the desert, on the grasslands? We're not talking feral here, we're talking wild dogs. What about those species? Well, I contacted a man that most people believe is the greatest expert in the world on wild dogs. And he said he'd talk. Prepare to be transported by Professor Claudio 
Celero. So 37 types of canid. Um, are they all able to breed with each other? Uh, originally, uh, dogs evolve in open spaces. Uh, they are uh, cursorial. They can walk and run long distances. They can uh, chase down prey and so on. But then they went on to adapt to different habitats. And I think that's when the differentiation uh, in the species we get to recognize come from. Um, whether they can uh, breed with each other, yes and no. There, are, there is some level of, uh, of mixing. And I think we're coming to terms now as, as biologists to understand and accept that this introgression or hybridization between uh, so-called species. Never forget that the species have been described by humans. So they are in a way uh, um, um, uh, artificial um, uh, constructs. Um, so that we can see uh, a range of, uh, of uh, hybridization taking place. If you look at uh, a very good example that we're only beginning to, uh, to tease out is in the east front of North America, where we go from South Texas, uh, where we have coyotes, onto red, red wolves in California. And then we have uh, farther north, uh, a very large uh, um, subspecies of gray wolves called Lycaon uh, wolves. And in between, we have also uh, um, um, a hybrid zone, as we describe it. So there isn't a single species or two or three, but more like a continuum of canid-like uh, creatures all the way. So is the fox that I have in my Back garden is that one of the thirty-seven canids? Yes, that's a red. Uh, that's a red fox, yeah. and uh, we're very familiar with them. Um, simply, um, uh, and they're simply the most successful canid uh, in living history. Uh, they have expanded from the traditional range of uh, uh, Europe and the British Isles to uh, parts of North America. Um, where they were taken uh, as, as a hunting uh, uh, animal and as far as Australia. And today uh, they are the most widely uh, spread uh, member of the Canis family. Not only that, that they have learned to become very comfortable around people. And that's why increasingly we're increasingly seeing them in our cities. So a very successful story indeed. Yeah. So could a fox breed with a Labrador? And the answer's coming up right after this. One of the family. Oh, I tell you what, you can take the boy out of Capital Radio, but you can't take Capital Radio. Yeah, it was a long time ago. What a question. Could a Labrador breed with a fox? Uh, no. That's unlikely. Within, within the Canids, we have like two main branches. The wolf-like and the fox-like and and they split up quite far back let's say about well, seven eight million years of age so there is enough distinction uh, across those those two branches that it's very unlikely that any mixing will take place mm. it's much harder for any uh, um, crossbreeding to take place but not in plants for instance plants seem to be able to circumvent differences in chromosomic numbers but uh, between the fox-like and and the wolf-like canids we have difference in chromosomes and enough difference there uh, that uh, uh, crossbreeding will not take place naturally. It's fascinating. So all 37 canids, they're not all pack animals, are they? They're all social. 
and, and that's again why uh, our animals, our dogs have been so successful at endearing themselves with uh, humankind because of that ability to socialize. But some are more social than others. So if you look at the foxes, um, many of them occur in pairs. Uh, they will have a common territory. They will raise uh, a, a litter of pups and some of them might stay for a generation around my help with uh, with the litter next year so you have like a small incipient family group forming but then there are some others that are so good at, at sociality that really struggle if they don't live in social groups take for instance uh, uh, african wild dogs uh, the asian doll uh, the uh, gray wolf Ethiopian wolves, those animals do very poorly if they don't live in groups. Mm. You are unlikely to raise a family successfully unless you have a family around you. One of the family. Well, if you've got your phone handy or whatever, have a look at these wonderful members of the dog family. Let's kick off with the coyote or the coyote. Oh my God, these are such beautiful animals. For dog lovers to see wild dogs, there's a real... Frisson. Is that a type of dog? There would be one. <laughs> yeah. You bet. Yeah, there's a, I've got a frisson. Um, they look like wolves. Tell me about coyotes. Coyotes are like a, mm -hmm. a lighter uh, version of wolves uh, in, in terms of size. And they are more versatile and, and smarter one would contend because uh, they manage to, uh, to live in a different settings and adapt to local circumstances. So um, in some parts of North America, uh, coyotes will be quite large in size and they will uh, live in packs and go after, uh, after elk. And in other areas, they are a lot smaller and they feed on, on mice and, and rats. And uh, increasingly they are found in parks, in, in city parks. I think Chicago, is a, Chicago is, a, is a city with a very large population of coyotes, not unlike the, the foxes you'll encounter in Bristol, Oxford, uh, London and so on. Um, so those ones will be happy uh, feeding on garbage and, and anything they can get hold of. So the same species, a whole array of uh, social ensembles and, and prey preferences. So do they have the same body language as my West Highland Terriers or my Labrador? Uh, very much so. Um, and they, uh, those, those behaviors are hardwired and uh, they are uh, meant to communicate uh, a, a mood, a, a position. And um, in doing so, you might stay out of trouble because uh, uh, you would have noticed with your uh, a small home pack that some uh, animal might be dominant over the over the other and so on. And, and you have those nuances in in uh, dominance that uh, don't need to escalate to a fight to be resolved. So I think is is a more economic and wiser for you to indicate with some behavior that you are the subordinate one and that you're not going to go and pose any threat to the boss rather than having to go for a fight every time. I'm all for the line of least resistance. Professor Claudio Solero, one man and his extraordinary knowledge of wild dogs. Claudio has a huge interest in the Ethiopian wolf. Now this is a beguiling, beautiful, but severely threatened canid. Please check out a picture. I enjoy so much uh, watching uh, wild dogs in the wild. I spent quite a few years uh, watching Ethiopian wolves, which are very rare uh, in number and very restricted in distribution. They're only found 
in a few mountain enclaves in the highlands of Ethiopia. But I was fortunate to watch them for thousands of hours because they, they live in open spaces. They got used to my presence and uh, I could uh, happily tag along and follow them on foot or horseback for hours on end. And you learn how to pick up those very, very subtle um, uh, signs that they, they give to each other. And they can be quite economic. It's no point of making a big fuss just to get a message across. And my impression is that the domestic dogs have amplified some of those just to tell their dumb human uh, companions what they actually mean. With a domestic dog, dad, of course, whether it be by our design or whatever, dad has nothing to do with it. In the wild, does dad get involved? Uh, very much so. They have a central role in society. Um, there is a prerequisite. They have to have certain certainty that they are likely to be the, the fathers of that litter. Um, so they, they're not easily fooled, but if they, they have been involved with that bitch, then they're going to be uh, very much involved in raising those pups. And, and that dedication starts even before the pups come out of the den. When the mother is getting read, uh, ready to pup, she will prepare a den, uh, quite often underground, and he will be coming and providing food to her. Uh, you know, kind of acknowledging that she is distracted by uh, them preparations and they might not have time to go uh, hunting. So he started uh, um, uh, providing food to the female. Um, she might spend a couple of days underground as the pups are being born. And this guy looks like any dad to be pacing up and down the hospital ward. He wants to know what's happening down there. He will get the muscle in will sniff, will blow into the hole, trying to call, uh, call her attention and so on. And we keep providing. And then when the pups, so then clearly they can't help with, with, uh, with suckling the pups. They cannot produce milk. But the moment that the pups become, uh, are able to feed on solids, and that might take place in some of the social canines around week eight, um, they will start providing uh, the, the pups. Fascinating. Very, very strong dedication. And then I would argue that that goes even beyond uh, when they start uh, helping them to learn how to hunt. That might be more passive. So it might simply be a matter of the pups following uh, the adult male into the forages and the foraging and learning from his behavior as well. So if dogs, domestic dogs, were left to their own devices, do you think that dad would get involved? I think that question is already answered. There are about 700 million dogs in the world that live an independent existence. Uh, they are either feral or they might be uh, village dogs that don't get enough food at home. And those animals behave like wild dogs. They will uh, choose where to go. They will hunt their own food. They will choose who to mate with, who to hang out with. And uh, you will see them that they tend to revert to form. So they revert to uh, what a wild dog will do. So the father will have something to do with the upbringing of the children. Very much so, yes. And in wild dog packs, or indeed feral dog packs, or village dog packs, how is inbreeding prevented? Well, um, let me tell you about my, my dear Ethiopian wolves and how they circumvent inbreeding. Um, I was telling you about uh, large family groups forming, the females, the, the, the daughters never go anywhere. Um, 
the, sorry, the, the, the male uh, pups stay for life in the natal territory. The females will stay as well if they can help it un unless they get pushed out by the mother. So there is a, a, a social situation there that potentially um, uh, um, could uh, lead to inbreeding. Um, what's happened when uh, the mating season comes, um, uh, that female gets quite uh, uh, cunning in avoiding the guarding efforts that the males in her pack are uh, taking and sneak out and have a, a quick liaison with the boy next door. And in doing that, um, they achieve something quite remarkable. They will have litters that have more than one father. Hang on one minute. I think we need an action replay on that one. They will have litters that have more than one father. We have the alpha male in her pack that rightfully says he's the father and puts in all the effort. But there are some of the pups that uh, have been uh, uh, sired by someone else. And the cunning mother has achieved two things. She reduced inbreeding, she maximized the diversity, uh, genetic diversity of her pups, and also secure the guarding and care from the alpha male. And that will happen with, uh, with feral dogs uh, when you, they are allowed to, uh, to organize uh, in natural social groups. What stops a brother and a sister mating? If they're being raised together, um, they don't seem to be inclined to each other. And again, the decision of whether to mate or not tends to lay with a female. So she, she's not gonna be um, uh, receptive as it were. And I look at actual, uh, actual mating choice within Ethiopian wolves and I found that uh, females were very strict as to selecting who they mate with within their pack. So they will only accept the alpha male and occasionally the second male to mate with her. But the moment she went out, she will mate with the first chap she met. Mm -hmm. Now, when I ran this particular part of the conversation past my wife, Tina, she punched the air and went, Yes. I'm not sure that I like that. Right, another Google image search now if you can, just to see these sublimely beautiful wild dogs, the ones we're gonna hear about now. More beautiful, I think, than any work of art. So what are the most threatened canids on the planet? So I'm gonna give you three examples. Ethiopian wolves, we really talk about um, uh, Californian island foxes. They just live in small islands, so there can be many of them. Uh, they are susceptible to uh, disease, such as canine distemper, but also the, 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 the number game. It's just maybe there's just too, many, too, too few of them, uh, and eventually local populations might go extinct. And the other one in that lot uh, are uh, Darwin foxes that are found uh, in a remote island of the coast of Chile. And there are some other species that are threatened because of their uh, in, uh, relationship with humans. Um, African wild dogs are a good example. They uh, have huge home ranges. In the wanderings, they um, uh, go through farms and they prey on livestock or, or game. And then people, uh, people reciprocate and uh, kills them and poison them and so on. Uh, so they're threatened because of that. Dolls in, uh, in Asia are also threatened because of these reasons. And then there are other species we know, we don't know enough about them to know how threatened they might be. And, and I think my favorite one 
um, because we know so little about them, are the short-air dogs that live in the Amazonian forest. Um, so they have a very large range, but they're very, very rare locally. So uh, they, there are very few people that has actually encountered one of them. What's a dingo? Aboriginals uh, that um, travel from Asia to colonize Australia and the Pacific Islands would have taken some of their domestic dogs with them. And uh, those ones then gained freedom. They, they spread out into the continent and then they went through this process of becoming feral. And what you see, which is very interesting uh, with these uh, mm. processes that lead to free-ranging dogs, is that they tend to revert to a quite a common phenotype. They're, they're likely to be tan in color or white and black. The tails will curl up. Uh, the, the bodies are quite stocky and cylindrical. They have a massive head with a triangular muscle, big perky triangular uh, ears. You'll see that that happens in every continent. The moment you leave dogs um, for a few generations wandering about, and a good example will be pariah dogs that you might have encountered them in, in a beach in, in Thailand or, or elsewhere in Southeast Asia. They, the moment that the humans stop selecting who they mate with, they seem to revert to this wild morph that clearly uh, is advantageous to their survival. Now, the Arctic fox, as you say, it's such a beautiful animal. It's hunted for its fur, isn't it, disgustingly? Um, are there plenty of them or are they threatened? Um, they are very, uh, quite numerous, simply because their range is humongous. They are found all the way from uh, um, Alaska across uh, the polar circle, uh, Canada, Russia, and so on. So they have a, a huge distribution. Uh, uh, they might not be as common as they once were. Uh, they are clearly threatened in some areas because of, uh, of hunting. And, and it's quite unfortunate that there are those uh, characteristics of the fur that make them so resilient to cold weather that attracts the interest from hunters. Mm. Um, fortunately, the, the interest on, on, on pelts and fur, uh, not just of Arctic foxes, but many other species, uh, is diminishing and is becoming culturally uh, um, uh, unacceptable. So I'm quite hopeful that that pressure is going to decline with time. What happens when a dog in a pack dies? How do the rest of the pack react? Do they understand that death? It's very difficult to get into, into the mind of the dogs uh, that are losing a, a pack companion. Uh, you see distress, uh, you see some uh, uh, um, pattern of sticking to the area where an animal has died, as if they keep going back to the same place um, to see whether they can get the friend back, um, whether they recognize uh, the, the carcass in front of them as, as, as one of the friends, and probably they would do through olfactory clues, but they clearly are missing the absence of the animal that has died. Um, that's what I have observed. There is grief and eventually they will move on. Thanks to Claudio. 
Thanks to Jeremy, and I appreciate you joining me for this episode of... One of the Family. Speak soon.